We will be continuing our study of the book of Philippians this evening, the book of the Bible that Pastor Reed's been working through uh, on these Sunday evenings. Our text for this evening is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So I'd invite you to turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And as we begin, I have two questions that I'd like us to consider together as we move into this study. The first is, is our church unified? Is our church as a whole unified? Secondly, how are you doing in your part in promoting this unity? How are you doing in promoting in your part in promoting this unity? Maybe more specifically, are your words and actions actually causing division and not helping this uh, our church be unified? So two questions, is our church unified and how are you doing in your part in promoting this unity? So the theme of our passage in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 is this. It's that Paul calls the Philippians to live in unity with each other. Again, that's Paul calls the Philippians to live in unity with each other. And and the key uh, verse for our passage is Philippians chapter 2 verse 2, if you look with me there. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So all four of these uh, phrases talk about and simply are talking about unity. Unity in the church. Having harmony among the relationships in the church. Getting along with each other. Working together in peace with one another. And this is, opposed, this is opposed to fighting with one another or letting differences and opinions that don't um, have an impact on the gospel get between each other uh, and ultimately cause a rift in their relationships. And we see in the book of Philippians, this is not necessarily a new topic, a new theme, but we actually saw this last week in the text that Pastor Reed uh, studied and brought to us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul spoke of being steadfast together as a church, working together in unity for the gospel. So this is a topic that Paul finds necessary to further elaborate on. As we're going to see, he goes into much more depth in our text this evening. But we might want to stop here and just pause for a moment and think about why does Paul bring this up here? Was this a problem in the church already? Or is he just just bringing it up as a warning? Well, actually, last week we looked at uh, the passage Um, that we see in Philippians that this was at least a problem with with two people. As we see in Philippians chapter 4, if you look with me there, Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 through 3 say this, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there was obviously a disagreement among these two um, people. All right, there was, a, there was an argument that might have happened. There was a disagreement between these two, and Paul is calling them to be united once again. 
So we know of at least one situation, there may have been more, or as I said, Paul is possibly just even using this as an opportunity, using this as a window to um, encourage them to be united, to continue to be united in the church in the future, uh, to cultivate this culture of unity in the church. So as we consider our text this evening, uh, we see it, it breaks down into three sections. We see first that Paul gives a motivation uh, to have this unity. He gives a motivation uh, for this call to unity. Secondly, uh, we get the all-important how. How are they to be united? How can they be united as a church? And then thirdly, and lastly, we are given an example. All right, so we see that we're given a motivation, we're given the how, and we're given an example. All right, so three sections we'll break this text down into. We'll begin with the motivation for Paul's call for unity. And we actually find that two motivations are given in this text. The first is found in verse 1, and the second is found in verse 2. So we'll begin with the first motivation. And we see that the first motivation for unity is what God has done for the Philippians. Okay, the first motivation is what God has done for the Philippians. If you look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1, we see what God has done for the Philippians is actually a motivation for their unity. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. I know for myself when I first come to the, came to this text, this is kind of a tough uh, verse to understand at first uh, before you put it in the full context and look at what is actually being said here. But we see that Paul's first motivation toward unity is speaking of things that God has done for his people. Each of these is things that God has done for the Philippian church. But before we look at these four points, I just want to point out uh, that what this verse is saying in using the if, um, the word if here, it's not, uh, Paul is not uh, casting doubt on these things that he's talking about, these four things in verse 1. He's not uh, mentioning them with uncertainty. He's actually really seeking to do the opposite. So for our understanding, maybe we'd substitute the word if, or this, this phrase that goes along with it, word if, maybe we'd substitute it just to understand it better with the word since. Uh, it would say, since there's encouragement in Christ, and then so on and so forth. Um, so these are things that Paul wants the Philippian church to reflect on and to consider and say, yeah, these things are true. He wants them to say, God has done this for me, so we need to be unified. So these are certainty things. These are things that have certainly happened, and Paul wants the Philippian church to realize this. Now, what are these things? Uh, what are these four things that are a motivation for unity? As I said, all four of these things are things that God provides for those who are saved. All right, so we take the first one. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ. So this phrase speaks of the encouragement or the comfort that is received in general from just having a relationship with Christ. It's speaking of the blessings, the benefits that we have from being saved. Any comfort from love, that second phrase is just simply speaking of the love that God shows us. Any participation in the Spirit is talking about the fellowship that we can have with other believers, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, the last phrase is any affection and sympathy. 
And that simply speaks of God's mercy and his compassion, his affection, his sympathy that he's shown to us. So we're going to see with each of these things that these are things that God has done for the Philippian church. And though Paul doesn't say it uh, in so many words, he's calling the Philippian church to do the same exact things that God has done for them. He's calling them to do these things to each other. All right, and what he's about to say, we'll see that. But for application, I want to ask, how often do we consider the blessings we have from our relationship with God? How often do you meditate upon the benefits you have because you are saved? How often do we just take time, maybe when we're just sitting at home, maybe when we're driving in the car, when we're going, uh, when we go to the gym and we're exercising, just to take some time to think about what God has done for us, to think about the many blessings that we have that are recorded in the scriptures, even these four that are mentioned here by Paul. And even more so, to, to go on further with this application, I'd ask us, do we consider these things, if we do consider these things, Do we turn then and seek to do the same things to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? So we realize the benefits that we have from Christ, um, from the work that God has done in our lives, that we have encouragement, we can have comfort, that God showed us mercy. Do we then go to show mercy uh, to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And I think that's what we need to consider and ultimately do uh, as we see from Paul's teaching here. As I said, we have two motivations, all right? So from this first section, we're given one motivation of what God has done for us. And the second motivation is for unity is that we see um, that Paul brings up the joy that he will get from seeing that they are united. And this comes from Philippians 2.2. So if you look with me there, it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Complete my joy. So this joy is a constant theme in the book of Philippians. As Pastor Reed has pointed out in, I believe, each of the passages that we've looked at, that Paul has brought up this joy. And uh, he's he shared uh, with them um, the joy that he has for them. And we see specifically here that Paul um, brings up joy. And, and as we think about it, and as we've talked about in the week's uh the weeks, the past weeks, we've seen that Paul is sitting in prison. He's writing this letter in prison. So it's an amazing thing that this is, this is a joy-filled letter. But specifically here, and we see that it's amazing and what is actually bringing him joy, it's that the church in Philippi would be united. It would bring Paul great joy to see the church working in harmony together for the sake of the gospel. If you consider what brings you, what would bring you joy in prison, as I think about this, um, it's an amazing thing that this is what brings Paul joy. If I think about it, I think the first thing that comes to mind, if I was sitting in a prison cell, what would bring me joy would probably be my release. It would probably be a good meal. It'd probably be uh, something comfortable to sleep on. But we see here that Paul goes beyond material and earthly things, and he looks to spiritual things for his joy. Knowing his brothers and sisters are getting along and working together would bring him great joy. So application, may it bring great joy to our lives to see the church unified. May we be glad to see other Christians working together so that the church can serve God. 
May it, may it be a cause for rejoicing as we think about our committees and, and them working together in unity. Even if there's a disagreement, if there's no, um, even if there's a disagreement, that's e an easy time um, of, that we could certainly be tempted to uh, lash out or even gossip. But may we rejoice if, if there's none of that, if we continue to be united, even if there's a disagreement. May it be a great time of rejoicing when we see Sunday school teachers or youth mentors or kitchen workers or deacons working together in unity. So that's where Paul begins in his discussion on the unity of the Philippian church. A motivation to do so both because of what God has done, but also because of the joy that it would bring Paul, their spiritual leader. Here's our second section, answering how they can have this unity. So we looked at the motivation, now we come to the how. Okay, if they're expected to be united, how can they be united? This comes from Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, if you look with me there. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So to sum up what Paul is saying in these two verses, how can the church be united? How can the church work together in harmony? How can the church cooperate in a peaceful manner? He says by being selfless. By being selfless. One word, selfless, kind of sums up everything that Paul is saying. One word that is so unnatural to us, selfless. Let's see how Paul lays out this selflessness that he's talking about that ultimately brings about this unity. First, he says, don't be focused on yourself. And we see two phrases or words are given here. Look with me again at Philippians 2, 3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So the first phrase given uh, speaks of not, that speaks of not being focused on oneself is selfish ambition. This is how Paul described those who were seeking to compete with him and seek glory for themselves when Paul was in prison and they were continuing to preach the gospel. And we saw this in Philippians 1.17. If you look with me there, Philippians 1.17, we see this exact word or phrase. It says, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So these people were uh, people who were concerned about getting a following, about getting the praise and the glory for people for the work that they were doing in preaching the gospel. This phrase speaks of being concerned only for your well-being, caring only about your opinions, seeking your benefit about, above all else. You are constantly thinking about yourself other, or instead of others and even God. The second word given here is conceit. Conceit, which is similar, but speaks of seeking glory and praise and honor for yourself. You want all the eyes on you. You want all the credit for what you're doing. So we see here in verse 3 that Paul lays out this selfishness by speaking of the negative. By saying, don't be only focused on yourself and what you want and desire, nor should you be seeking the praise and the glory from others. Notice right in the beginning of verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We should never be selfish, he is saying. 
that really goes against probably every society that's ever lived, but especially ours today, which is definitely a me first society, putting yourself first and others second. But it's so easy to point fingers at society. I would challenge us to think about ourselves. Paul says, do nothing, which I think should convict all of us. I know it convicts myself because I'm definitely selfish a lot. And this is something that I need to really work on. But he says, do nothing. So we should be seeking in all of our actions, all of our words, all of our motives, all of our responses, not to be selfish. Let's look at the second way that Paul explains this selflessness that promotes unity. Second, consider others more important than yourselves. And we get this from Philippians 2.3, which says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And then it says this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So really, we're given the positive uh, here uh, to the negative that was given in the first half of this verse. Be humble rather than being selfish or prideful, not needing all eyes on you or only being concerned with what you want. When we think about what Paul says here, that we are to treat others as more important than us, we might think, I would never say so-and-so isn't as important than me. But I think more often than not, this is something that comes out in our actions. How we reach out to others, how we take an interest in them, how we talk to them, how, what we do for them. So it's not necessarily something we're going to say, I'm more important than you, but it's in how we act or how we treat others. Thirdly and lastly, as Paul lays out this selfish, selflessness that promotes unity, he's calling the Philippian church to value the wants, the concerns, and the needs of others. As he says in verse 4, Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul gets very practical here, and he tells them to not only care about their wants, their concerns, their needs, but he says care about the wants, the concerns, and the needs of others. So application, consider when you walk into church on a Sunday, or when you spend time with other believers, is your mind focused on others or yourself? I might ask you, are you selfless when it comes to your marriage, in your interactions with those that you serve with at church, with visitors who come to church, with a fellow believer that is much younger than you? Are you looking for ways to encourage them? Are you thinking beforehand about questions you might ask to start the conversation with someone? Are you reflecting on someone's life, putting yourself in their shoes maybe, and thinking about their struggles, and then praying for them? And even then, maybe later on, telling them, hey, I'm praying for you. This selflessness that Paul is talking about is considering people's convictions and opinions concerning a range of topics and, in one sense, making sure you don't offend them or seeking to be respectful of the differences that you have with others. It's thinking about who's hurting in the congregation and offering your help. It's thinking about who might be lonely and giving them a call. It's sharing a word of encouragement for how you've seen someone serving in the church. May we be in prayer for this often, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on others rather than ourselves. So we see from this second section that being selfless promotes this unity that Paul is calling the Philippian church to. It's how 
we can be unified, which is to live in this selfless way. Now we come to our last section. We've seen the motivation. We've seen the how. How can we be unified? And now we come to an example. All right, and actually, interestingly enough, we see that we're given an example in our text, which is what we're going to focus on. But actually, Paul gives several examples later on in chapter 2, one being himself. But he also gives the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus of what it looks like to be selfless. He points to several people, um, one being in our text, of people that were selfless. And the one that we're going to look at uh, for just a few moments is found in verses 5 through 11, and that is the perfect example, the best model that we could find being Jesus Christ, the model of selflessness. And we see this in Philippians 2.5, if you look with me there, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul is seeking to say in verse 5 that we are to have the same selfless mindset that Jesus exemplified in his life. Follow along as I read verses 5 through 11 this text that gives us the model of Jesus Christ. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we see Jesus' selflessness exemplified in several ways in this passage. The first is that Jesus models selflessness in that he was willing to lay aside the glory that was deserved that came from being God. As we see in Philippians 2.6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So this verse and the rest of the verses are certainly not saying that Jesus somehow became uh, not God or, or somehow he um, was no longer God or gave up divine attributes. But the emphasis here is he's giving up for a time the rights, the privileges uh, that he had and deserved from being the sovereign God from being the king of the earth. So he's still God um, in, this, in this text, but we see he's giving up the privileges, or even, in one sense, the glory that he's deserved. Second, Jesus models selflessness by becoming a servant, Philippians 2, 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus came to this earth to serve. The one who above all others deserves to be served he served. He deserves to be served, but he chose to serve others. Thirdly, Jesus models selflessness by his willingness to die on a cross. Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' death on the cross was humiliating, yet Jesus was willing to do it. So as we think about Jesus' example, as we think about the model that's given here in Philippians 2, may we be motivated to be selfless from the example of Christ and how he was selfless for us. If Jesus, who was the highest, in the highest position above all, could stoop down and serve others, 
How much more should we, who are finite, sinful human beings, be willing to do the same? May we look to Jesus as our example and even motivation for a selfless life that brings unity to the church. So we, we really came full circle here. Paul began with the motivation of what God had done for them and how that should promote unity in the church. And now he ends by speaking of what God has done for the Philippian church, specifically through the person and work of Jesus Christ and how that provides an example, but also a motivation for unity. So I'd like to close by just giving one last application or one last challenge to us as we um, walk away from this text, as we think about the theme of this text being unity. As we consider this for our own lives, we should think about what is our part in the unity of our church, especially in, this, in the time period that we live in right now. With COVID-19 and, and, and its impact and um, just all of its ramifications, with the issues concerning race that are going on in our world, in our country, even the presidential election, this could cause a lot of disunity. This could cause a lot of disharmony in the church. Ask yourself, are you promoting the unity of the church with your words and actions, with your thoughts and opinions, or are you hindering it? Though the church is a collective thing, each of us individually should stop to think about if our private conversations or how we conduct ourselves maybe in a committee meeting or how we conduct ourselves at a church service, if it is helping foster unity in the church. Let us close in a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this text. We thank you for Philippians 2, 1 through 11 and just its challenge for us to be united united as a church, living in harmony and peace with one another. Lord, help us to be selfless in our interactions. Help us to think about others before ourselves. And Lord, I just pray, especially with all that's going on in our world, help us to be a church that is united. Lord, I pray that this would be a great reminder. This would be a great challenge. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take these things that we learned in Philippians, that we've studied in Philippians, help us to take them and apply them to our lives. And in your name I pray, amen.